If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue in this series, Armed for Battle, taking a look at spiritual warfare and the armor of God that has been provided to us. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 10 and we'll read down through verse 20 together. If you don't have it in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me and you can follow along there as well. But in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in which, uh, I'm sorry, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's Word. In 1977, two monumental things took place in the history of the world. First, I was born. Uh, I was born in 1977. And so some of you think, man, you're really young. And some of you think, dude, you're pretty old, <laughs> right? I just find that's the position I find myself in these days. Another thing that took place in 1977 was the release of the very first Star Wars film entitled A New Hope. Those of you Star Wars fans, you probably can tell me the day and time that it was released. Um, I'm not that much of a Star Wars nut, but I do appreciate the, the, the film series as it's been produced. Uh, but the new, A New Hope came out in 1977, and throughout the Star Wars, well, it's not a trilogy, I, what, what, I don't even know what they call it now, it's a, a saga, yes, thank you for the word. Uh, throughout the Star Wars saga, uh, there has been this constant battle between light and darkness, in fact, uh, the dark side, right, which is Darth Vader, he's dressed in all black, he wields the red lightsaber, uh, and he's constantly beckoning his son, Luke Skywalker, to come over to the dark side, to come away from the light, right? And that cinematic uh, depiction of the battle between good and evil, darkness represented evil, and the light represented the good, right? The Jedis were in the light, and the Siths were in the darkness, some of you, I just went too far into the Star Wars vocabulary and I lost you, I understand. But the battle between good and evil has long been depicted, whether it be in cinematic depictions or in depictions of literature, as a battle between light and darkness. And I believe one of the reasons why artists have used this imagery throughout the centuries is because it is painted across the pages of the Bible. Right? That fact that, that light and darkness, that whole imagery, it echoes into reality from literature and from movies. In fact, you see it in the Scriptures with the devil's deception resulting in darkness falling over our lives and the liberating light shining forth from God Himself who is light and in whom is, is no darkness at all. 
Now listen, as we take a look at this text this morning in Ephesians 6, next week we'll conclude this series with a message entitled Warfare Prayer. But this week we want to take a look at a, a message I've titled Persevering Through Preaching. Because Paul presents a very particular prayer request of the Ephesian church as he ends his discussion of spiritual warfare. And he asks them on two occasions that he would have boldness when he opens his mouth to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. So Paul recognizes his dependency upon God in this battle against darkness. In fact, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told that our, our, our battle, is our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present what? Darkness. This present darkness against the forces of evil, against the enemies of God, against the devil and his demons, against the dominion of hell itself, the authority that Satan has been granted by God as he exercises it in this world. There is a battle between light and darkness. And Paul says to the Ephesian church, would you pray for me? Would you present this petition before God? Because I need boldness to open my mouth and proclaim the mystery of the gospel to dispel the darkness that's brought forth by the devil's schemes. So that's what we want to look at this morning, this whole idea of persevering through preaching. And in order to see this in the text, I want us to first of all take a look at what Paul calls the mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? Listen, the mystery of the gospel is this. It is Jesus Christ once concealed, now revealed. That is the mystery of the gospel. See, the word mystery in the text in Ephesians chapter 6 is found elsewhere in the New Testament. And it is not referring to something that's really, really hard to understand that requires a lot of study in order to understand it. Right? It's not referring to something that's really hard to figure out. Like, it's not an episode of Stranger Things, okay? Or an episode of Scooby-Doo where they're trying to figure out who the masked villain really is. That's not the kind of mystery that Paul's referring to here. The word mystery literally means, in the Greek text, it means something that's been concealed throughout history and time, but it's now in these days been revealed. It had been hidden in the past, now it's come to light. It's been uncovered in the present. So like an archaeologist who might spend his days researching right, where these treasures of antiquity might be buried and then sets out on an archaeological excavation and goes to uncover all of these great prized possessions that have been lost to history. And so they begin to dig through layers of dirt, stratas of earth's history in order to uncover the things that are beneath and make these life-altering, right, museum-worthy discoveries. Right? Something that was once hidden has now been uncovered. Something that was once concealed has now been revealed. Something that was once shrouded in shadows has now been brought into the light. That's what the word mystery refers to, except, except with regards to the archaeologists. Listen, this mystery is not uncovered because of our hard work and diligence. It's uncovered because God has chosen to do so by revelation. He has revealed it. God has made it plain. And the mystery of the gospel, right, centers on maybe this one question. How can a holy God 
commune with sinful men. It's a mystery. Something that was once concealed in the Old Testament. Because God in the Old Testament, right, he's, he could not, he was dwelled, he alone dwells in an unapproachable light. Right? There is no one who could enter into his presence. That's why every year when the chief priest would go in before the Ark of the Covenant, they would tie a rope around his foot in case something goes haywire while he's in there because ain't nobody else going in to get him out. Right? They're going to pull that sucker out of there if he dies in the presence of God. Right? Because God is holy. And much of the ritual and ceremony of the Old Testament communicates this idea. That's why in the tabernacle and in the temple, there are, there are tents and there are, there, there are curtains that would separate the presence of God from the priest of God and the people of God. And you only add access to certain places at certain times because God is holy and He cannot look upon sin. So how in the world can a holy God commune with sinful men and women? And that is what was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what was revealed. Because of the crucifixion of Jesus as he hangs upon the cross and he utters these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathes his last breath. He utters that cry and he breathes his final breath. We're told that in the gospel accounts that darkness falls upon the land prior to his death and that at his death there's a curtain that's in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It's torn in two from, not from the bottom up, so it wasn't like the priest went in there and went, right? But from the top down. In other words, God himself rends this curtain. He rips it in two, providing access between man and God, sinful men and a holy God, no longer needing a human mediator like a priest in the Old Testament, but now having a divine mediator, one who would stand between God and man, Jesus Christ himself. That's the mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament that has been revealed in the mystery of the gospel. So that everything that we read is in Old Testament is preparing us for. It's all like signposts toward this Savior who would come to redeem. In fact, you, when you read about this in Luke chapter 24, in verses 25 to 27, when Jesus, following His crucifixion, His resurrection, prior to His ascension, He's walking along the road to Emmaus with some of these disciples who are having a conversation about everything that had transpired in Jerusalem, about His arrest, about His trial, about His death, about His crucifixion. Okay? And so they're having this conversation and Jesus shows up along the side of them and they're like, they're, they're like dude, don't, are you the only person in Jerusalem who has no idea what just took place? And so Jesus is listening to their dialogue and eventually Jesus reveals himself to them and it says in Luke chapter 24, 25 to 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus takes the Old Testament, the law, the Psalms, the prophets. He goes back there and he says, listen, all of this that was written back here was ultimately pointing to me. This mystery that was concealed, this information that was not fully yet revealed has now come to pass in me. So that the law, the prophets and the Psalms being fulfilled, he opens their minds and he shows them the scriptures speak of his suffering. The scriptures speak of his death. They speak of his resurrection. 
the preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins being proclaimed to all the nations. It's all back there in the Old Testament. It wasn't like they did this thing in the Old Testament and now we do this thing in the New Testament. Right? It's all one story, ultimately united in the person of Christ. And isn't that the way all good literature works? Right? In every good novel, okay, if you're a reader, if you're not a reader, in every good movie, right, there is a main character. And that main character may not be the first person who's introduced in the movie. They may not be the first person who's introduced. It might not be chapter one, paragraph one, the person gets introduced. Or the first scene of the movie, there they are. But they are the person to which all the action in the movie or the novel is moving and from which all the action in the novel is going. So it's all coming to them and all moving away from them. They're their main character. The plot line revolves around them. And Jesus says, that's true of me. The mystery of the gospel is Jesus Christ once concealed, now revealed. I think Sally Lloyd-Jones captures it greatly in her prologue to the Jesus Storybook Bible when she writes these words. She says, now some people think about the Bible as a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. But the, and the Bible does have some heroes in it. But as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get f- afraid and they run away, and at times they are downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. At the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. I love the way she writes about Christ. Once concealed, now revealed. That's the mystery of the gospel. It's not something that's really, it's not like, forgive me all you math teachers, it's not calculus. It's not algebra. It's not even addition, if you're talking about me. Right? It's not hard to figure out. It was hidden. It has now been uncovered, and God has chosen to reveal it. And everything was pointing to it. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, pray for me that I would have the boldness when I open my mouth to declare Jesus Christ in this context that he finds himself in, surrounded by darkness. To declare Jesus Christ once concealed, now revealed. And I believe the reason Paul asked for this particular prayer is this reason. Because the gospel has the power to dispel darkness. 
It dispels darkness, church. Listen, twice in this text, Paul petitions the Ephesian church to pray that he would speak boldly. Think about the position he finds himself in in verse 20, where he says, I am an ambassador in chains for this gospel. So where is Paul at? Paul is in prison. He's a representative for this gospel message of Jesus Christ coming to reconcile God and man, to be the mediator who would stand between us and a holy God so that we would not be consumed, but could be comforted and encouraged and brought into this fatherly, tender affection and embrace of God. He says, this is what I'm proclaiming, and this has been the result. I now find myself in chains. I find myself in prison on account of it. Now, you might say, well, listen, Paul was stirring up trouble in the Roman Empire, and so Rome decided to toss him into jail, right? You could look at it from purely a human perspective and say it was purely man's doing. But if you know and realize that the battle is real, go back to the first series, sermon in this series, right? The battle is real. If you know that to be true, then behind all injustice and all evil stands God's enemy who opposes the advance of the gospel message. So Paul is facing opposition because of his proclamation. And he says, would you pray that God would grant me boldness so that I would not shrink back in timidity as a result of my situation or context or circumstances. But I would continue to be bold with the truth. Right? Listen, I I don't know about you, but it can be intimidating at times to move through darkness. Okay? I, I can remember in, in getting up in my own home when my kids were young and they would leave toys everywhere, all over the place. Now that they're a little bit older, they still do the same thing sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a story for another day. But I can remember stepping on so many Legos. Right? Those little sharp blocks that they would just get left on the floor because I'm walking through my house in the dark and can't see anything. But I'm trying to turn on the light right, to wake anybody else up. Right? So I'm walking through the darkness. It can be intimidating to try to move around in the dark and without light. It can be intimidating to be enveloped by darkness. And listen, this is where Paul is facing incredible opposition and persecution. When you read about the things that he faced, the beatings that he endured, the imprisonment that he experienced, the ship being shipwrecked, being snake bit, all these things that he encounters on account of the gospel of Christ. And Paul says, would you pray that I would not shrink back in timidity, that I wouldn't tiptoe around in the darkness, but that I would speak with clarity and that I would speak with boldness and that I would proclaim the truth of Christ once concealed, now revealed, because it has the power to dispel darkness. Listen, that's, all, that's well and good, but I hadn't shown it to you yet from the Bible, so don't believe me, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, turn there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want you to hear how Paul describes our enemy, and I want you to hear the language that he uses as he speaks of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse one, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then in verse 3, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm not preaching myself, I'm preaching Jesus, the mystery of the gospel. And even if it is veiled, if it is cloaked, if it it is concealed, it is only concealed to those who are perishing because in their their situation, what they've experienced is the God of this world, the devil himself, blinding the eyes of their mind so they could not perceive the glory and beauty of Jesus as he falls upon their ears as I preach. But he says, he goes on to say in verse 6, that the very God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Where is that? At creation. When God speaks and light shines forth. And there was evening and morning first day when God speaks and light shines out of darkness he says that same God has shown light into our hearts and the light is of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in other words this mystery of the gospel has the power to dispel the darkness the domain of darkness the rule of darkness in the lives of those for whom the gospel is veiled, that God is powerful in the same way that He was powerful at creation to say, let there be light. He can lift the veil and shine light into the darkness of the deepest, darkest human heart. And dispel the darkness. Cast it out. Because the gospel in and of itself is light. It is light. And listen, church. It is light in our lives and it is light in our land. Listen, there are pockets of darkness in our own individual lives which we need the gospel to shine forth into. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where it is for you, but there are still pockets of darkness in our lives and there are There is pervasive darkness in our land. I want to tell you the the ills that we face as a country and particularly as a church in this country, the only source of light for them is the mystery of the gospel. Jesus Christ once concealed, now revealed. Which is why. Which is why we don't preach political commentary we might address issues in the culture from the scriptures but we believe the only solution for a hurting hurting sin racked land is the gospel 
is the light that Christ shines forth into every human heart, into every, is able to shine forth into every human home, is able to shine forth into every city, in every suburb, is able to shine forth into the hearts of leaders at every level within our nation, which is why we pray for the salvation of our leaders. Which we pray, why we pray God would arrest their souls with the beauty of Christ. That there'd be repentance and humility. There'd be honesty at every level. Because it's only the gospel that has the power to do that. Policy can't change hearts. Only the light of the gospel can. It can dispel darkness. And so Paul says, pray for me that it would go forth boldly. And if I would be so bold, as to make the same request of you, church, that whenever I or one of our elders stands in this pulpit and opens the scriptures, that you would pray for us that we would have boldness to declare the mystery of the gospel. Because it's powerful to shine light into very dark places. Finally, this morning, if we're going to see this gospel dispel darkness in our lives and in our land, we've got to learn to deploy the gospel in our lives. Deploy it in our lives. Now listen, when, when someone enlists in the military, one of the branches of the military, they're, they're trained in all sorts of ways, aren't they? They're trained physically. They go to basic training. They run a whole lot, okay, from what I understand. They do a lot of push-ups. They crawl through mud, under barbed wire, all those kinds of things. They're trained physically. They're trained mentally. They're trained emotionally how to handle what they're going to face on the battlefield, on the front lines. However, right, in wartime, after they've been trained, what they don't do in wartime is just kind of sit around and think about all the things they've been trained to do, right? In wartime, they get deployed. They get sent out into the, to the front lines, to the places where they can execute those things they have been trained to do. So what they've been trained to do, now they go out and do whenever they're deployed. And the same is true, listen, on the front lines of spiritual warfare. There's some stuff, church, there's some assets, some resources that need to be deployed in our lives if we're going to fight, if we're going to stand. Remember we said way long time ago, a couple of months ago, that the controlling verb in this text is stand, stand firm, stand fast. If we're going to stand in the face of opposition, then we've got to deploy some stuff in our lives, some of these resources, and it starts with the mystery of the gospel being deployed in your life. Right? The mystery of the gospel is not something that you receive to put on a shelf and polish up every once in a while and look at and go, man, I got that certification. Right? I've been, I've been trained in how to, to execute that. We don't set it on a shelf and look at it, but rather we take it down and we use it for the purpose that God intended it for. And so if we're going to deploy the gospel, it's going to require at least these four things of us. First of all, for some of us, it means at the very base level that we place our confidence in it. 
Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ, who was once concealed, has now been revealed, then if you're going to deploy the gospel in your life to fight spiritual battles and dispel the darkness that hovers over your life and the veil that is over your heart, because if you're not in Christ this morning, your heart is veiled. It is veiled. You know what that means? That the God of this world has blinded your eyes and you need Christ to shine light forth into your heart to lift the veil so that you would see His beauty, repent of sin, and trust in Him. Place your confidence in Him and not in yourself. That you would acknowledge, I am not sufficient for these things. I'm not enough. And I know that's hard to admit in our culture. But the truth is, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that the one thing that you need in order to place your confidence in Jesus Christ is nothing. But it's the one thing that most of us don't have because we're placing our confidence in ourselves. Believing that we're sufficient, that we're enough. So for you, if that's you this morning, you've never trusted in Christ, you've never placed your confidence in Him to save you of your sin, to be your mediator, you've never come to see that you need a mediator, that you would turn from saying, I'm enough, I'm sufficient, I will do my best and God will accept me, and you would turn to Jesus and say, I'm not enough, I am not sufficient, God have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And place your confidence in the finished work of Christ at the cross that He lived in your place, died in your place, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of God, and will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. You place your confidence in Him. For those of you who have placed your confidence in Christ, if you're going to deploy it in your, the gospel in your life, let me give you three things. First of all, you need to hear it preached. You need to hear it preached. A part of what that means is you need to be present when it's proclaimed. Okay? Now listen, I, I, I recognize the, the sensitivity of the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Okay? And there are some who are not able to be with us publicly yet. And we understand that and we give space for that. We, we, we want, we don't, we, we, what we discussed as elders very early on in this process was that we did not want to bind someone's conscience okay to being present in the midst of a pandemic when it's safer for them to be at home that's why we continue to live stream to try and serve those individuals who are at home okay and we're praise god that those of you who are here are here and you're comfortable being here and ready to be here but for those of you who aren't you have that space to be where you are but i will say this when i talk about hearing it and being present when it's preached Listen, when you stay home, listen, I understand the temptation, right? To say, oh, well, we'll just catch it later in the week. And we'll go to the lake this morning, or we'll go to the woods this morning, or we'll go on a hike this morning, or we'll go do this this morning, and not tuning into the live stream, and then Sunday comes, and then Monday comes, and then Tuesday, and all of a sudden you're back to work, and the kids are back in activities, and you're doing all these things, and then the next Sunday rolls around, and you're like, Oh, well, we'll catch it later in the week. And you never catch it later in the week. And so you're not hearing it preached. 
You're not hearing it proclaimed. You're not hearing Jesus held high. You're not having light shown into your heart and into your home. And listen, that is detrimental to your spiritual health. It's detrimental to your spiritual health. And so you will look up and say, why does it feel like I keep losing all these battles? One reason could be because you're not hearing the gospel consistently preached. So listen, if you're at home and want to stay at home, stay at home, but tune in, be present, carve out time on Sunday, just like you would at 1030 to be in this room, that you'd be in your living room or in your kitchen every Sunday at 1030, tuned in to what God is doing in the life of our body, particularly, right? And listen, I like people... Mm-hmm. I like to listen to people better than I like to listen to myself. So I know some of you like to listen to other people better than I like to listen to me. Okay? But listen, there is value in tuning in to what God is doing in our church, in our body. So don't neglect that. So place your confidence in it. Be present when it's proclaimed, whether it's online in your living room or whether it's here with us in the worship center. Third, If you're going to deploy the gospel in your life to dispel darkness, listen, church, you've got to learn to declare it to yourself. To declare it to yourself. Listen, week in and week out, we aim. We aim to exposit Scripture in a way that upholds Jesus and shows Him to be the center of the Bible. Right? This one who was once concealed is now revealed. We try to set it before you every single week. But there are some days on Monday, or on Tuesday, or on Thursday, or on Saturday, where you face situations where darkness, the clouds of darkness seem to want to swell in your life like a thunderstorm building, and you have to learn in those moments to declare the truth of who God is and what He's done in Christ to your own heart. To your own heart. To minister to your own soul in those moments. To declare it to yourself. Listen, and that might come through memorizing passages of Scripture that you would then recite out loud. No matter how crazy the people in the car next to you think that you are. <laughs> They'll just think that you're singing, right? But you're preaching to yourself the words of Scripture. It might come through a gospel-saturated song that the lyrics capture your attention. There are certain songs at times in my life, and there may be in yours as well, where the the lyrics of those songs are so saturated with the good news of Christ once concealed, now revealed, that they become like radioactive in your life for seasons, right? And it's like they're red hot. They're just burning in your soul. I've had moments like that in my life. I'm sure you have as well. So maybe it's through the lyrics of a song, through the pages of Scripture, through through, through verses you've memorized. Right? But you've got to learn to declare it to yourself in those moments. Remind yourself that Christ is your mediator, that God is for you, that He is not against you. He has demonstrated that in His Son. If He was against you, he would have, Jesus would still be in a recliner in heaven. Do you know that? If He was against you. But He is for you. So he came to this earth, lived, 
the perfect sinless life that we could not live, died the sinner's death to receive in his body our penalty for sin. God raised him from the grave. So you know what that means? That means in every situation in your life, if you are in him, he is for you. Declare it to yourself, church. And then finally, fourth, share it with others. Share it with others. And listen, that may be sharing it with other believers or it may be sharing it with non-believers. Listen, because there are sometimes in the life of a Christian when what they need from another Christian is not merely just good advice, but they need good news. They need good news. They need someone who is going to be able to counsel them toward remembering things that they have forgotten about God. Because I don't know about you, but there are times where I forget things that I should remember and remember things that I should forget. There are times that I rehearse things in my mind from my past that need to be forgotten. And there are times in which I fail to rehearse things from redemptive history that I should be remembering every single day. And a part of our role as Christian community and church is to help rehearse the gospel for other brothers and sisters in those moments in which they're rehearsing things from their past that the enemy is dredging up to attack them and try to, the storm clouds are, are building around them. So you, you may be sharing with other believers, but it may also be sharing with your neighbor or your co-worker whose mind and eyes are still veiled. And listen, some of you feel, some of us, I'll include myself, I'm not going to say you, some of us feel very intimidated by that prospect. Because we believe, uh, one reason we may be intimidated by that prospect is because we may believe falsely that the power lies in our capacity, ability, and eloquence. But did you see what Paul said to the church at Corinth, we preach not who? Ourselves. (laughs) In fact, elsewhere in Corinthians, he said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I didn't come to you with eloquent speech. What did I come to you with? Christ and Him crucified. And what happened? God started a church in Corinth. He saved people from all kinds of mess in their lives. And so listen, as you consider the prospect of sharing it with others, you need to go to war against Satan's lie that you are not skilled enough to share the gospel with someone. And remind yourself the power lies not in you, but in Him. In Him, church. Because He is the one who said, let light shine out of darkness. And He is the one who's able to cause His light to shine into the hearts of even the most dark and depraved souls. Do we believe that? Listen, there we are in a real battle. We are in a real battle. And the means by which God has, means that God has given us to dispel the darkness and push back the darkness 
is the mystery of the gospel. Place your confidence in it, church. Place your confidence in it. Be present when it's preached. Hear it proclaimed. Declare it to yourself and share it with others. And see what God might do in pushing back the darkness in the lives of those that you love and in this land that we call home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the good news of Jesus. That he is our mediator. That he is the one who has taken upon himself your wrath. That all the scriptures point to him. So Father, may we rehearse that in our minds day in and day out, week in and week out. And may we see the darkness dispelled in our lives. May we see the darkness dispelled in our land as the gospel is deployed, it's, as it's used for its intended purpose. I pray if there's people in this room this morning or listening online who have never placed their confidence in Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that you would remove the veil, that you would remove the scales from their eyes, that they might see and treasure Christ, repent of sin, repent and turn from thinking that they are sufficient and that they are enough. And they would come to you not saying, God, accept me because of what I've done. I've gotten close enough, but they would come to you asking for mercy and placing their confidence in Christ. And for those who have, Father, help us to be a gospel-saturated people who love to hear it preached and show up, whether it be in person or whether it be online, week after week. And may we be a people who declare it to ourselves and are able to share it with our brothers and sisters to encourage them and able to share it with non-believers that you might do a, the miracle of salvation of bringing them from death to life. We pray all this in Jesus' name.